The secret of the mountain is that the mountains simply exist, as I do myself. The mountains exist simply, which I do not. The mountains have no meaning. They are meaning. The mountains are. The sun is round, I ring with life, and the mountains ring. And when I can hear it, there is a ringing that we share. I understand all this, not in my mind, but in my heart. Knowing how meaningless it is to try and capture what cannot be expressed, knowing that mere words will remain when I read it all again another day. Peter Matheson Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank everyone for listening, and I uh, hope you enjoy this week's episode, and that you've enjoyed uh, our prior episodes as well. Um, this week, uh, we will be moving out of the Anatolian Peninsula into neighboring areas in Asia um, that I haven't talked about so far. For this season. There is one thing I did forget to mention as I was talking about the collapse or dispersal of Chattelhuyuk's population last week though. Um, but there are a small number of sites to the west uh, that show regular habitation from nomadic or semi-nomadic groups before transitioning to per- permanent settlement. Um, some sites become permanent earlier than others, and some become permanent while Chattelhoyuk is still uh, in use, um, but remains in use after Chattelhoyuk is abandoned. Uh, There is one example that was also excavated by James Mellard, named Hashilar, or I'm sorry, uh, Hajilash, and it was first used around 7,000 BC, and would remain in use until around 5,000 BC. Um, it was never as large as Chattelhuyuk, but they would use pottery and have fortifications. Um, how this site and its neighbors exactly to relate to Chattelhuyuk and the people who live there is still a matter of contention and debate, but there are a number of similarities and some type of connection seems likely. Um, we will return uh, to this specific region when our timeline jumps forward again. And we will talk a little bit more in depth about Hajilash and some of the other sites that may or may not be related to it. As of now, though, I will be moving from region to region in Asia similarly similarly how we did when we covered the world at 10,000 BC. Um, There will probably be a few episodes where we focus on one or two specific sites, But for the most part, other regions of the world are not quite at the stage where they're developing proto-cities. So we will be covering a number of places and people per episode again, at least for a little while. Excuse me. Uh, And that is not because these are less important than the proto-cities and semi sedentary peoples um, that we have been discussing the last few episodes, Uh, but because we have less reliable information and artifacts about these other places and peoples. Um, This week we will start with the peoples living to the north and east of Chattelhoyuk and the Stone Hill sites uh, in the Caucasus. Now, this is one of those regions where there is a bit of a debate on how big this region is and what's included. 
Uh, for our purposes, we will say that it is the strip of land between the Black and Caspian Seas, with its southern boundary located in the eastern Pontus Mountains along the Black Sea coast and along the Aras River until it enters the Caspian Sea. Its northern boundary being the southern bank of the Don River in the west and the southern bank of the Volga River in the east. Uh, there is a further division or an internal division, I guess, of the Caucasus, if you will, that I will make between the North and the South Caucasus. Uh, the Greater Caucasus Mountain Ranges is that dividing line. Uh, this is sometimes considered a dividing line between Europe and Asia, geographically, if not culturally. Um, travel between the regions is possible, but it wouldn't necessarily become common until later times and even then there are times where it is more common than others so just bear that in mind also for the term Caucasus um, according to Pliny the Elder he claimed it came from the Scythian phrase uh, Crocasus which is to them in Scythian uh, meant uh, shining with snow. Uh, now most of the languages, um, or the local languages I should say, um, have a similar pronunciation sounding close to either Kavkas or Kaukas, depending on a speaker's language and dialect. Um, this is also an endonym that is used by comparative linguist, uh, linguists to try and trace language evolution and uh, kind of across multiple families and subfamilies. It's a, it's a useful geographic term to kind of see when it may have entered a language's uh, lexicon. Um, now, for our purposes, though, of our timeline, we will focus uh, for this episode only really talking about uh, people in the Southern Caucasus. Uh, we will touch on the northern part when we get to our European episodes. Um, there have been people living in this region for tens of thousands of years, um, up to the beginning of our period at 8000 BCE. I mentioned in one of our season one episodes that the earliest evidence for clothes made from plant textiles come from uh Zuzuana Cave in the country of Georgia, uh, and it has been traced back to around 30,000 years ago. Um, the primary group that I was able to date to this time and region is referred to as the uh, Trialetian Mesolithic culture. Uh, this was a fairly widespread and apparently long-lasting hunting culture. Not only do they have sites associated with them in the Caucasus proper, uh, but their artifacts have also been found in eastern Anatolia, uh, the Zagros Mountains, and what is now modern Iraq and Turkmenistan, all around the Caspian coast. Um, its exact age is a matter of debate. Some say it had emerged around 11,000 BC. Others say it could have been as early as 14,000 BCE. Um, they favored hunting wild goats and antelope like the tur, as well as wild boar and brown bears. Uh, they were at home not just 
in mountains, but also the numerous lakes and river valleys that existed in those regions they occupied. But I didn't see any specific mention of them liking fishing or eating fish. Um, may have been that it was not as popular uh, of a food. It was probably something that maybe they did um, kind of maybe seasonally or if it was a kind of a matter of um, necessity. But again, I that's not to say they didn't fish very well. It's just it wasn't mentioned specifically in any of the literature I read. Uh, now these many isolated valleys will eventually help a lot of peoples in this region to develop um, basically a very large number of regional dialects and accents over what is a relatively small area. Now the Triolidian is not um, are not isolated. Um, there is some evidence that they were interacting with people as far away as the Levant, and I think some DNA tests show that. Um, that they had mixed with people kind of living in that Toss-Tepler region uh, during the PP&B period. So kind of um, right in the midway point to end part of our current timeline. Uh, so it's either right then or right as pottery and ceramics are coming into use. They also overlap with uh, the Zarzian culture, which um, lived in what is now modern-day Iraq and Iran, uh, in the mountains there, in the Zagros Mountains. Uh, these people favored hunting red deer and wild asses, like the onager, um, as well as wild goats. Um, they seem to have been one of the groups in this uh, kind of region that favored the bow, and they helped spread domesticated dogs uh, to the uh, Near East here, the last Anatolia, Mesopotamia, the Levant, those kind of areas. Um, now, the Zarzian disappeared around the start of our time frame, right around 8000 BC. Um, they probably either joined with the sedentary groups and societies that are just beginning to emerge in Ma in Mesopotamia or with uh, groups to their east um, that we'll discuss in the next episode. As for the Triolidian, they last right up until 6000 BC, uh, where we see their artifacts kind of disappear you know, from the record. Um, what caused this, this disappearance is a bit of a mystery, but... Um, the people who replaced them are the first people we have evidence of that practiced uh, viniculture and, you know, created wine. Uh, now, those longtime listeners know that my personal theory goes that when it comes to these very ancient artifacts, I doubt we find the absolute first examples of anything. Um, we may find very early examples, but I, I doubt it's the first. Now, the early traces of viniculture were located in two sites in modern Georgia, uh, Shulaveri and Shomo Tepe, and they have been dated to around 5900 or 5800 BCE. So it's possible that the people of the Triolidian, uh, influenced by their neighbors 
and cousins to the south and west began to practice agriculture with local plants and herding animals they had traded or raided from said neighbors instead of solely relying on hunting and gathering. Um, This type of lifestyle would be helped by a climate that was beginning to see more regular precipitation. Uh, In fact, I think they could have welcomed some, you know, some of those said potential cousins from the south, as Anatolia is seeing a drier period, um, who, uh, so this would have helped um, them transition to a more sedentary agricultural lifestyle with this uh, added precipitation. Uh, now, not everyone ad- would adapt to this type of life, of course. Some would continue to hunt. Um, but whatever the exact case is, we can't know for sure. Um, we will return to talk about the Shulavarian Shomu culture in our next season when the timeline moves forward and we reach this region again. Now, let's see. Next up. Okay, yes. Oh, I did forget to mention. So, the peoples of the Pontic Mountains of northern Anatolia, uh, I haven't talked about them yet. And the reason for that is that I have not been able to find any literature or mention of a specific standout group. Now, I have no doubt that humans lived in the area, but either the amount of people living in those mountain ranges was so small and or spread out so much that they didn't create a readily identifiable uh, monoculture or it wasn't as easy or a favorable place to live and serve merely as a place to travel through rather than live in. Though who knows, perhaps this has just been an area that archaeology has ignored or hasn't been able to effectively excavate. I, I don't know that for sure one way or the other. Uh, now, let's move to the south, where we will begin to talk about two emerging groups um, that are going to be coming out, uh, coming around and coming together at the end of our current timeline in areas in and around uh, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and between those two rivers. Now, there is overlap between these emerging cultures, um, both you know, between the two of them, as well as the peoples of Levant and Anatolia that we've covered in the past few episodes, and also some people to the east further into uh, the Iranian plateau that we haven't covered yet. Um, but uh, as for these two groups, we won't be diving into them too heavily right now, Uh, but they will be a major focus of this region when we move our timeline forward uh, and we get to the next season, as it were. Now, the exact time frame when these cultures emerge and develop distinguishable traits uh, is debated, Uh, but it is occurring around 6500 to 5900 BCE. Along the north of the Euphrates, in the foothills of southern Turkey, uh, and to the uh, east of the PPNA and PPNB sites of western 
and northern Syria, uh, in the uh, north of modern Iraq, a culture known as the Halaf is forming. Uh, and then to the east, around the headwaters of the Tigris and what is now the borders of uh, Turkey, Iran, and Iraq, a group known as the Hasuna appear. These cultures either obtain or develop pottery technology, and then each has developed or will have developed a, a distinct style. Um, both also practice agriculture to one extent or another. Uh, and now they're still, of course, hunting and gathering and probably doing a little bit of herding as well. Um, but agriculture is going to become more and more important to these groups as time goes on. And forgive that little interruption there. I had an episode uh, kind of um, uh, rendering for YouTube for me to upload a, an old episode and it started to autoplay after it finished rendering. Uh, so I do apologize for that. Um, so, yes, uh, they eventually are going to rely more and more heavily on agriculture, both of these groups. Um, but we will get more into the timeline of that and uh, the urbanization or slow process of urbanization that they will partake in, uh, again, in the next season when we get to those episodes. Uh, now... Uh, to finish off this episode, we will talk about uh, Arabia. Now, I mentioned in our last episode focusing on this region that Arabia has um, or does go through green periods, similarly to how the Sahara Desert does. But it seems that these periods are not quite as regular and they may not always be as vibrant or as uh, lush of a period as what you'll see sometimes in North Africa. Um, now, uh, I know I mentioned the last time that there is you know, decent evidence that one of the first routes that uh, our early ancestors took out of Africa could have been you know, across the Red Sea, um, which at the time would have probably been a lake based on water levels uh, from kind of the supposed period we left. Um, and Arabia was probably very green, um, or at least a lot greener than what you know we would think of it these days. Um, but due to a number of things like politics, religion, um, diving too deeply into these ancient archaeological sites is not something that can easily be done in Saudi Arabia. So we don't have too much in the way of evidence for this time period. Uh, like the Pontic Mountains, I am sure that there are you know, humans living the traditional hunter-gatherer lifestyle um, in you know, regions where you'll see habitation later. Um, but this is probably a very small number of people, and it's probably not being done on a, you know, a close to a permanent basis. People are probably just traveling through. They're not, you know, camping there for, you know, uh, you know, a quarter of a year or something like that. 
they're probably just moving as best they can. And that's something I think, you know, at least based on our current archaeological record, uh, that makes sense because, well, archaeologists are very good at finding, you know, sites that have been used for long periods of time over a number of years. Um, nothing like that has been found at this period in Arabia as long as, or at least that I have been able to see or find or read about. Um, but that does not mean that there are no people living in Arabia. It just means it's probably very uh, underpopulated or has very low um, population density. Um, it is possible that there could be, I guess, the proto uh, like uh, Sumerian culture maybe um, could be part of Arabia. That is a theory I think I've read. But that's that's in the future. We probably have another season or two before we get to that time period. But um, eventually Arabia is going to be a site um, that is still, you know, has a very low population density, but uh, will be important for a number of factors uh, when it comes to trade and travel between Africa and India, which it was, of course, during the human migration out of Africa. Um, it's one of those cases of history is repeating itself. So um, that's kind of the main points I wanted to touch on. Um, so this is a region, again, that we're seeing the early experiments or attempts at sedentary society though i don't know if these people realize that that's what they're doing they were probably just trying to get to a point where they could you know live day to day and then eventually as their lifestyles became more um secure they probably started to develop other things and other interests um, but of course for whatever reason we see these attempts uh abandoned um, probably due to a number of uh, factors, including overpopulation in areas that agriculture is maybe not suited for that number of people, at least with the technology and crops that were being worked and grown with. Um, but when we return here the next time, um, we will see a number of um cultures kind of rapidly rising, developing, uh, passing along, you know, artifacts and knowledge to um, neighboring groups or maybe smaller regional enclaves or exclaves of the, I guess, the parent group, for lack of a better term, uh, and then those groups developing further and kind of taking the mantle or the torch uh, from their predecessors. Um, but again, that's for future episodes. Uh, as for this current timeline, uh, we will continue to move into the east. Um, I'm not sure exactly how far we'll get the next episode, but I definitely think we're going to cover all of uh, the groups in uh, our, the Iranian Plateau region and at least a few groups that are probably living in um, Central Asia, 
uh, excuse me, Central Asia, like the you know the modern day stands, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, that kind of place. And we might touch on some of India as well. Uh, it'll just depend on um, the amount of information I feel like uh, kind of fits into this time period. But yeah, I think that's this is a good place to stop. We finished up um, the Middle East. Um, so we've got a few more sections to go for Asia. Uh, I'm going to guess at least, at least five more. Um, and then we'll move into, um, Europe and then into, actually we'll probably do Australia first and then, then we'll move into, um, Europe and then to the Americas. Uh, which I've been reading a lot about the last couple of weeks. It seems like there's been some more kind of um, older stuff to talk about, the kind of right in the time frame we're looking at, so that's going to be good. Some new, brand new information to kind of digest. Um, but yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can get back with me at waradrevpod at gmail.com or you can direct message me uh, on Twitter or YouTube. Um, as I said, I've gotten uh, I've gotten a few more episodes up on YouTube, uh, and I'm going to be putting up a couple of more this week. Uh, just trying to kind of get caught up. Um, it's been a slow process, and I haven't always been as diligent about it as I should have. But I um, I am making it a little bit closer uh, with the last couple of weeks. I put up at least. Uh, two or three episodes uh, the last couple of weeks, so I am slowly but surely closing that gap. But um, that's enough of that, so I'll go ahead and include uh, links to the Twitter for DMs, that kind of thing. Uh, But I hope you all have a good rest of your day. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you need or if you have any questions, again, please do not hesitate to let me know. Thank you all, and you have a great rest of your day. Goodbye.